0: From NASA sending astronauts to the moon to billionaires launching themselves into space, there's something about the cosmos that inspires people to attempt the impossible. None of this would be possible if it weren't for a group of engineers who risked it all for the sake of blowing stuff up. From LAS Studios, listen to LA Made, Blood, Sweat, and Rockets, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In my previous uh, companies, people always talked about sustainability and people always talked about doing something that's good for the community. But in Google, I see actually a lot of people working on it. In the management, there's a lot of attention for, for sustainability. And it's not just talking, but it's actually doing and investing. This is Where the Internet Lives, a
0: show about the unseen world of data centers. I'm Stephanie Wong, and I'm your guide to the people and places that make up the internet. This season, we're exploring how data centers change the world around them
1: in surprising and transformative ways. Uh, My name is Inge van Ditsuyzen. I'm one of the facility managers in the data center in Eemshaven, the Netherlands. In
0: 2016, Google opened a data center in the Netherlands. In the years since, it has expanded operations twice, investing a total of 3.8 billion euros in these Dutch data centers, the enabling infrastructure, and sustainability measures. And hundreds of people like Inge are running that infrastructure.
1: I always have a plan, and I, it's always my day. Always ends up being different than what I've planned. That's yeah, that's what I like very much about my job.
0: Inge was an engineer in the chemical industry for 21 years working in planning, process engineering, and plant maintenance. And when Google recruited her to help manage its growing data center, she was excited to jump from a mature industry into a rapidly evolving one.
1: Yeah, the fact that it's, that it's growing a lot, there's that's a huge demand. And we don't see the end at all. Um, so data centers are, are really quite new. So we're also really f- still finding the best ways to run data centers and to build data centers and to design and construct. And that constant quest to optimize data centers played out with a resource that is central to
0: the Dutch experience, water. The Netherlands has a unique relationship with water compared to other European countries. A third of the country lies below sea level. And almost 20% of the mainland is water, largely due to the 6,000 kilometers of waterways that support industry and recreation.
1: There's like water everywhere. You have waterways You always cross bridges or you go through tunnels uh, below the water or over the water.
0: Continuous innovation has always played a critical role in the Dutch relationship with water. Those famous Dutch windmills, many of them were built centuries ago to bring water out of farmlands. Pumping and diverting and blocking water is what protects the land people live and work on, turning the Netherlands into a vital European trading hub and top agricultural exporter. But now, the experts of controlling water are facing a new challenge worsening drought.
1: Yes, I remember that when I was little, for example, we always had too much water. So we regularly we had the cellar full of water and we were always busy with pumps getting it out. And I think the last 10-15 years what you also see is that there's actually a shortage of water, especially in summer.
0: Summer heatwaves are getting longer and more extreme in Europe. Winter snowpack is dwindling in the mountains. And the Netherlands is losing critical fresh water resources while it also battles rising sea levels. This played out in the summer of 2022, when extreme heat and drought disrupted shipping and farming across the country.
1: There's not, not enough water uh, coming through the rivers, the River Rhine, the River Maas, which are the big rivers coming from the, from the Alps, from the mountain ranges. And there's just not enough water. So the... Barges and the boats, they cannot transport the amount of goods that they normally would. So there was a big impact. Um, Also, agricultural sector had uh, difficulties because they were not allowed at some point to water their lands anymore. Because there was also uh, not enough drinking water or there was just enough drinking water, which never was a problem (laughs) in in previous times. But nowadays, uh, you see those impacts of, uh, of climate change.
0: This created a water challenge for Google as well. When the data center was designed, multiple options for cooling were considered. Air cooling, seawater, and evaporative cooling. There were always trade-offs. Air cooling using chillers or seawater cooling using desalination were both too energy-intensive for this particular location. So they settled on evaporative cooling
1: to minimize electricity use. It's the most energy-efficient way to cool a data center. Uh, But the area where the data center is located only had potable water connections. So at first, when Google started in Ameshaven, in the north of the Netherlands, they uh, started using potable water for cooling.
0: Google always knew potable water would be temporary. From the earliest days of Dutch data center operations, the company started evaluating more sustainable water sources to cool servers. And as water challenges mounted in the Netherlands, and summer after summer brought increasing pressure on supplies, those efforts were accelerated.
1: So that's when Google started to uh, look into other types of water that can be used for cooling. Uh, for example, there's other data centers that use seawater for cooling, but here it was chosen to uh, to use canal water for cooling instead of potable water. And then this 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 huge project was started with uh, with the water company.
0: So that company was North Water, which is a water treatment company that works with a variety of heavy industries to reduce the use of surface water. And then Google and Northwater decided to use water from a network of canals to cool the data center, right? So how does that actually work?
1: Yeah, the water is, is taken in in a place uh, called Wolde And that's like 40, 50 kilometers from the data center. So it's more in the direction of the city of Groningen. So there it's taken from the canal. And there it is treated so like uh, filtered, not too much uh, metals in the water, iron, Ions, for example. So, those kind of things they do in that treatment uh, facility. And then they have huge pumps where they pump it through this huge pipeline all the way to Ameshaven. And then it comes in in our water metering building, we call it. There it enters the site and then it is going to our cooling towers. And then uh, when they have cooled, The water for the DC floor, for the data center floor, where all the computers are located. Then part of the water is flushed again out uh, into the sea.
0: The 45 million euro project was ambitious. It featured construction of a 28 kilometer pipeline that can carry 10 million cubic meters of water each year to the data center. It also required a new treatment plant to treat and
1: filter the water. I think Northwater did a lot of work on how they had to clean the water, because we kind of knew what kind of quality water we needed for the cooling towers. But then they had to find out like, hey, um, we have this canal water, it has these kind of properties, how can we clean it and filter it and and, and make sure that it falls within the specifications that Google can actually use it.
0: And then Google and Northwater needed to ensure that all the water moving over many kilometers from the treatment plant to the data center didn't get contaminated.
1: Uh, another big challenge was uh, the pipeline because the pipeline is very very long, and you you don't we didn't really exactly knew what the properties would do uh, when transferred through that pipeline. So we did quite some testing to see and to measure the quality at Northwater leaving uh, their site, and then retesting the water again when it entered our site to see what the differences were. The
0: final challenge wasn't a technical one. It was a logistical one. Getting the project built required Google to work with multiple entities in a highly collaborative way.
1: The really cool thing is that all these different parties work together. That's the big thing. It's not only the local companies, it's also the government. And at the same time, Google was also looking into and talking to other companies in the Ameshaven. I think that whole stakeholder part was really, really interesting in this project and challenging, I think. Google is taking these
0: kinds of challenges head-on at data centers around the world. The company has ambitious goals to replenish 120% of the water it consumes in the next decade, while also getting 100% of its energy from zero-carbon sources. And this project represents the collaborative creative solutions being considered for each location.
1: Yeah, I think that's the water strategy is one of the biggest focus areas at the moment for Google. And if you can do that with industrial water or sustainable water source, then it's of course perfect.
0: The stakes are incredibly high. Climate change is playing out in real time, making extreme heat and drought far more likely across Europe. It has direct consequences for trade, agricultural production, heavy industry, and culture. And in a country defined by its relationship with water, Inge has witnessed those impacts in a very personal way. For example, the canals rarely freeze over in the way that they used to.
1: Yeah, I think we we all notice it very much. The winters are are so bad because we used to have winters where we could go ice skating on the canals. We always had this huge ice skating race called the Elfstedentocht, the Elephant City Tour. A beautiful race where people skate uh, 200 kilometers on ice. Well, the last time they were able to do that was... Um, 1997 so it's now 25 years ago that that race was held and before that it was like every 10 years minimum so that's well I'm i'm a fanatic ice skater so that's one of the things that really that i see and that i am a little bit yeah sad about to be honest that we don't have those winters anymore and the summers are dry
0: the dutch are very good at water engineering But then the threat of climate change puts that skill to the test. So do you worry about the future of your country?
1: I think at some point we we are really masters at building dikes and mastering the water and keeping the water out of the country. But at some point we cannot make them higher and higher and higher. At some point it stops, I think.
0: And does working on this challenge inside Google give you optimism about
1: the solutions at hand? It gives me a little bit of relief because I see there's actually companies that make a difference and that do those little changes that we need all companies to do. Google is not going to stop climate change, but Google is at least showing their best and get, being a very, very good example for other companies. <laughs>
0: Inge van Dijkheizen is a facilities manager at Google's data center in the Netherlands. If you want to learn more about the project in the Netherlands, watch the short documentary video we made about how it works. You can find the YouTube link in the show notes. You'll also find a link in the show notes about Google's water replenishment strategy. Where the Internet Lives is produced by PostScript Media in collaboration with Google. Our theme music was written by Echo Finch. Additional music came from Epidemic Sounds, Blue Dot Sessions, and Echo Finch. You can subscribe to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you access your shows. And please give us a rating if you like the series. I'm Stephanie Wong. Thank you for listening. I've been wondering something
2: lately. Why does it seem like once you become a billionaire— when you're one of those disruptor CEO mavericks, the only thing left to do to test your genius is to build yourself a rocket ship.
1: And I speak for all of us here at SpaceX when I say we could not be more excited
2: to finally be sending humans to the International Space Station. There's Elon Musk.
1: I cannot emphasize this enough. We must make life sustainably multiplanetary.
2: There's Jeff Bezos, who stepped down as CEO of Amazon to focus on Blue Origin, his rocket company, and sent William Shatner to the edge of space, not to mention Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic. So what is it with these guys? Why the middle-aged pivot to rocketry? I think there's something about outer space, the cosmos, that inspires people to attempt the impossible. But here's what most people don't know. None of this would have happened. No billionaires launching themselves into the wild blue yonder. No moon landing either, if it weren't for a group of men in Pasadena, California, back in the 1930s. They risked it all for the sake of blowing shit up and changing the world.
1: Specialization complete. Affirmative.
2: They would come to be known as the Suicide Squad allow me to introduce them. Chen Shen, the mathematician. And he would come to the classroom. He would
0: just... Those students obviously ask questions and Chen would say, I would suggest you to drop off my class. That's it, simple.
2: Frank Molina, the mastermind.
0: I would say it was kind of his dream to establish unmanned exploration of space.
2: And lastly, Jack Parsons, the one about whom I have reservations.
0: Parsons was perhaps the most, (laughs) I would say, unusual one.
2: Jack always wanted to set off rockets and explosions. He wanted to be out there in the field and making things happen. That's the crew. They were the perfect storm. In the 1930s, If you said you wanted to work on rockets, colleagues would ostracize you, financiers would laugh in your face, and everyone would assume you were gonna accidentally blow yourself up, which was a fair assumption. Frequent explosions at Caltech are actually how this team earned its name, the Suicide Squad. But far from being a joke, the squad's achievements led to the founding of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California which has landed rovers on Mars. So let me say this, if you think Branson and Musk have earned their reputation as eccentric wildcards, just wait till you hear the Suicide Squad story. There will be satanic ceremonies and some practices known as sex magic. Which is using sexual intercourse and and orgasm in rituals to harness energy towards a specific goal. There will also be historical figures who get screwed over and unfairly forgotten. Women have been a part of every
0: major milestone and every mundane task in the history of aerospace, and their stories are not often told or remembered.
2: There will be a corrosive and widespread communist scare.
1: The then director of JPL, Louis Dunn, walked into an FBI office and said, I think this is spy ring
0: at JPL.
2: And ultimately, there will be a suspicious death. There were actually two explosions, one right after another. It shook the city with shockwaves. Test telephone switch to arm. Arm light on. Switching command to internal. two, nine, eight. I'm MG Lord. Discover the mad origins of aerospace. Blood, sweat, and rockets. The first season of LA Made. A new podcast coming soon from LA's studios.